Hello there, how's it going? It's so good to be back. Welcome new listeners, welcome returning listeners to the Not The Top 20 podcast, League 2, 1-24 to League Prediction podcast for the 2021-2022 season. I'm Ali Maxwell, opposite me, George Ellick. We're quite excited to talk League 2 today, George. It was a division that we enjoyed a lot last season. I think it's fair to say we're pretty enthused with it this year as well. Very enthusiastic now. A season where, at least to start with, as far as we know now, uh, fans are going to be back seeing away tickets being sold and that is great to see. And and League 2, doing my research, I think we've known all summer that League 1 looks incredibly competitive. The Championship maybe not so much, but I was surprised when doing my League 2 prep how strong a division it looks to me. One of my sort of themes, I think, from doing my research for League Two is we've got a nice balance, a, a battle, if you will, between rookie managers, the likes of Matthew Taylor at Walsall, Hayden Mullins at Colchester, Rob Edwards at Forest Green, but also some very experienced campaigners. Kenny Jacket is managing in League Two for the first time since 2005. We've also got Keith Curl at Oldham, Nigel Clough at Mansfield, Mickey Mellon back at Tranmere, and even Mark Cooper, who is the Barrow manager now, has a lot of experience at this level. The last few years, we've seen a lot of young rookie managers succeeding in League Two. Look no further than Mark Bonner, of course, who achieved uh, an astounding promotion with Cambridge last season. So that's a little theme from me. Before we get into the 1-24s, to this podcast is sponsored by Betfair and they are a season-long sponsor for us. We're absolutely delighted to be partnered with Betfair for the entirety of the 21-22 season. We really enjoyed working with them for our playoff preview shows and so did they. So here we are, a full season of sponsorship with Betfair and not the top 20. Nothing will change when it comes to the way that we cover the EFL with two podcasts a week, the Monday podcast, breaking down the weekend's results and the Thursday betting show. There are no plans to make any changes. Betfair are going to be along for the ride, supporting us and listen out for some of their current offers later on on the podcast. We've also got a huge giveaway. A lucky (laughs) listener of this podcast will win a season ticket to the club that they support. We want to reward you guys for listening to us, for enjoying our content, touch wood, but also for having gone through what we've all gone through over the last 18 months, specifically in not being able to go physically and support the teams that we love. So we are giving away a season ticket for one lucky listener and you'll catch all the details at the end as to how you can give yourself a chance at being the winner of our season ticket giveaway for this season. Now it's time to get into the main event, starting with the team in 24th. We'll finish with our predicted champions of League Two. And this is where I always have to remind myself to bring my voice down, to just lower the excitement levels ever so slightly, because we do have to start with a team that we are predicting will be a non-league team by the 22-23 season. George is actually the side that finished 22nd, just beating the drop last season. It's Scunthorpe United. Yeah, I think we had them 23rd in last season's preview, so one place off. And looking at what happened last season, where they were, I think, quite clearly the third worst team in the division, and it was only for a kind of run of form in the middle of the campaign, which set them apart from the two teams that did eventually go down. It was Neil Cox's first season as a rookie manager, and I saw precious little to suggest that he has what it takes to get what is a poor squad mm. uh, anywhere further than that kind of 22nd, 21st area. Last season, they were very poor indeed. And you look at the players that they've lost, you know, they've lost Aboisa and Alex Gilead, two of their, well, their two best attacking players last season. Kevin Fonfain may not have spent much time uh, on the pitch because of injuries, but certainly a player with, with quality. Jacob Badeau, their left-footed centre-back, has moved on to Burnley. So they've lost four players who would get into their best team and I think in Isa and, and Gilead they're two players that I'm quite positive about Bradford having bought for their promotion push so you've got a team that we a squad that we already assessed as being fairly weak have they replaced that quality not clearly I, I can't see much of what they brought in to fill those clear gaps mm. they got 48 points last season so a team who were stunted going forward pretty porous at the back have got rid of most of their attacking talent um, and not replaced them with much either it's hard to make a massive case for them. I have to be honest, I have 
really little confidence in the off-field governance of, of Scunthorpe United. Ever since they flew very close to the sun and made the League One playoffs two seasons in a row, there's been a, a huge decline. Uh, not, I was going to say a steady decline, but you can see it in their league positions. 23rd and relegated from League One, 20th in League Two, 22nd in League Two. Uh, I, I have no real confidence that those off the field can turn things around. And I don't think they are giving Neil Cox necessarily the squad that he needs in order to do the job that he needs to do. I think a certain amount of apathy is set in at the club. And at this stage, I, I'm not seeing something that will spark a change in fortune. So Scunthorpe, 24th position in our League Two, 1 to 24s, 23rd. Now, this would be a record being broken. One of the strangest records in the English pyramid. And that is that since relegation to the National League was changed from being decided by a vote to the normal relegation of the bottom two going down, no team has ever come up from the National League and gone straight back down. But I'm predicting that this will change this season. We are predicting that Hartlepool will struggle and will come 23rd in League Two this season. Uh, one of the reasons is, and this is a feature across all the FL leagues is that the team that wins the playoffs often have less time to plan for the new season uh, and that sets them back somewhat in their pre-season planning. Of course, up until the point of winning the playoff final or losing it, you also find it difficult to plan for what division you will be in, uh, budgets, etc. Uh, that planning is important and Hartlepool got promoted very late. June the 20th, they won the National League playoff final and I must admit, I, it, it hasn't looked like they've been able to just carry that momentum forward to start this season from my perspective. Firstly, they've lost some key players from that team. Reese Oates, the player of the season for them, and Luke Armstrong, their two main attacking players, their two main goal scorers. They've also lost a defender, uh, Johnson. Uh, they had a loanee called Cass, who was on loan uh, and isn't rejoining the club. He's gone elsewhere in League Two. So it's been a really cluttered summer for Dave Challoner. Uh, so many trialists coming in and out the door, existing players having late contract decisions. And it, it just doesn't point to a very settled ship heading into this season, which I think you need if you're going to be comfortable moving up a division. They looked like a, a good all-round team in the National League last season. They scored the fourth most goals. They conceded the sixth least. So they were they were solid on, on both fronts. But I just worry about the attacking output that they've lost. I worry about some of the defenders that they've lost. And if I'm honest, the transfers that they have completed so far with one week to go until the season begins do not make me think that they have filled those gaps in the right sort of manner. So I'm a bit worried about Hartlepool. Uh, I'm aware that no one has ever been relegated having come up from the National League, um, but they are 23rd in our league table. So our two relegated teams from League Two are Scunthorpe and Hartlepool. A quick look at the Betfair sportsbook odds. Both teams 5-1 to one for relegation. Both those teams with Betfair. A couple of teams are a shorter price than them who we'll get on to shortly. One team who isn't listed at the moment due to off-field issues is Swindon Town. And that is who we have at 22nd. Now, there is no doubt at all that if the season were to start tomorrow morning and the transfer window was closed, Swindon Town would be 24th in our predictions because they have had a horrific uh, summer. Lee Power, his tenure at the club has finally come to an end. Clem Morfuni has taken over the club in the last couple of weeks. In this podcast... We cannot do justice as to what has gone on at Swindon over the last calendar year or so since their promotion from League Two under Richie Welland. There's a brilliant article on The Athletic that I recommend you go and read if you want to find out more. But it's fair to say the last year of, of Lee Power's ownership descended into an absolute farce and it's no surprise that they've ended up back in League Two. They come into this now having lost the majority of their players over the summer at a time where they, the players weren't getting paid. Even Jonathan Grounds and Brett Pittman, who are still contracted to the club, or in Grounds' case, no longer, um, basically refused to play for the club given the circumstances. Things have got a bit brighter in the last couple of weeks, and that is why we have them in 22nd. Now, I know that some Swindon fans will anticipate that under the new owner, Morfuni, there will be enough investment into the club to push them a bit higher than that. But we don't know that now. And Morfuni is very clear in his statements uh, on the Swindon website that survival is the aim. Ben Garner has been appointed manager. It's hard to be too positive about that given his poor stint as a rookie manager at Bristol Rovers last season. But the fact remains that he is a coach who's very, very well 
regarded within football circles. And this time he has a director of football in Ben Chorley, who again, we don't know a great deal about, but Morfuni has placed his faith in him to oversee the footballing side of the club. You look at the players who, well, the player who has come in since Morfuni took over, Ben Glaubin is a player who when fit should be far, far too good for League Two level. And Swindon fans know him very well indeed. Anthony Grant, rumoured to be signing fairly soon too. So this is... A prediction mainly based on faith that the new owner will be able to get the players in needed to get them out of this mess. There are still some good players there. You know, Jack Payne is still at the club um, and a couple of Dion Conroy is still there at centre-back. They don't need too many. Um, Do you think this is a good time to mention there's a, a parallel of sorts with Wigan Athletic from last season's League One campaign? We were saying very similar things about Wigan who had a skeleton squad uh, and were going through the ringer at the time that the season began. And when I spoke to you about Swindon uh, yesterday and I expressed huge concern about the fact they have to build a squad, bargain basement signings because a lot of players have already been picked up by this point, you did mention that actually for Wigan, January was huge as well. They, they, they got through the first half of the season, albeit didn't pick up very many results. And the business they were able to do in January with a few months to plan for that got them above that dotted line. In League Two, we always say you don't have to be very good to stay up. No, and, and Swindon have over a month now with a supportive, we think, owner to get the squad in a better place. So as you say, with Wigan last season, they went into the season with serious off-field issues and ownership struggles. That seems to have been sorted early enough for Swindon, I think, where they're going to have a month now and then another month in January. I'd be very surprised if they don't have enough about them to um, invest in the squad to an extent that will get them clear of the bottom two. But as we have them in 22nd, it suggests that you know, they're not there yet. George, the team in 21st, well, we've seen a few times over the last five years or so, and we saw it last season with Southend United, aside being relegated from League One, and how easy it is for them to drop right to the bottom of League Two, sometimes all the way out the league entirely. When it comes to Rochdale, who we've got next in 21st, there are huge concerns that we have, albeit at the current moment, enough quality in the squad to think they'll be good enough to stay up, but not a huge amount more than that. Yeah, another side who've had issues over the summer that, again, we can't do justice, but then some power struggles in terms of the ownership of the club at the moment. And that has meant that they're yet to bring a single player in so far, although we can probably expect some loans to come in at some point. Brian Barry Murphy, their manager from last season, who... Saw them relegated, but I must say I personally think would have been a, a pretty good guy to lead them into this campaign. Has left to, to take over at Manchester City under-23s, which shows the, the level of regard that he's held in. Robbie Stockdale's taken over as permanent manager, who a few of us will remember from Sunderland Till I Die as the caretaker. Again, it's impossible to be too positive or negative about that. Um, he says he wants to play winning Attacking football, um, that's all well and good, but I'm not necessarily sure they have the players for it right now. You know, they've lost Conor Shaughnessy, they've lost Humphreys, they've lost Lund, they've lost Quadro Bar. These are, are pretty key players for them in what was an exciting, if not particularly successful side last season, and they brought nobody in. They still have some good players, you know, I think in, in terms of Aaron Morley and Ollie Rathbone, they've got two quality centre midfielders, uh, although whether they will both start the season or, or end August, still at the club, we're not entirely sure, with, with Rathbone um, being linked to uh, Rotherham in the last couple of days. So they're another side who needs to bring some players in. They've probably got enough quality at the moment to be okay. They are definitely one side who have the off-field struggles that could see them spiral, though. It wouldn't be a massive surprise to me at all to see them embroiled in a relegation battle, especially with a rookie manager too. So it's hard to be overly positive, I think, on their chances this season. There was some good news in the last few weeks off the field that the Supporters Trust is now the second biggest shareholder at the football club. Uh, they got 12.5% of the club, so they might be able to steer the ship away from really troubled waters. But as you say, all not done on that front. And look, they've probably got five or six players in their squad who shouldn't be playing in League Two. Too good for the level. Rathbone, Morley, O'Connell, Keohan perhaps. But outside of those players, they have mostly youth players so uh, it's a it's another situation where things could move pretty quickly a squad could be built very swiftly but as we record it's difficult to see uh, an immediate return to league one certainly uh, and we're actually expecting a, a bit of a drop towards the bottom of league two we've got Oldham next up now they're managed by Keith Curl and that causes some confusion here because on the one hand I think Keith Curl is the best manager that Oldham Athletic could have right now, having cycled through a number of managers that have, whose tenures have ranged from poor to 
quite disastrous. Now, whenever that's the case for a club, generally you don't look at the managers themselves and give them the blame. When that is the theme that runs through a club over five years, you look higher than that. You look at the club structure, uh, the ownership and those making decisions. And that has been an issue for Oldham Athletic, in our opinion, over the last few seasons. So, I like Keith Curl as older manager. I think he's the best man to sort out some insane defensive woes last season where they could not defend for love nor money. Now, they scored a lot of goals and that was very exciting. I guess we can expect many fewer goals to be conceded and probably fewer goals to be scored. They've got some good players. Uh, Bahambula, as we know, one of the most exciting players on the ball in the league. Very, very skillful. And Davis Keelor Dunn has quality, as does Zach Dernley. But I'm not convinced about the squad in general, uh, as as a balanced League Two squad. And the reason we wouldn't have them higher, where ordinarily I would have a Keith Curl side higher in the table, is just the potential, as we keep saying, for things to cause problems, any issues that Keith Curl might have um, that could sort of undermine his management of the club. So we've got Oldham next and above them, Sutton United. One of the other two teams coming up from the National League, a team making their debut in the EFL, a team that as of only two months ago was not even a full-time professional team. Really excited to welcome Sutton to the EFL. Yeah, Sutton, who are the favourites with Betfair for relegation at 7-2, to two, I think that's wrong. I think this is a, a classic case of good National League team come up as the best team into League 2, where we know that the bottom end of the League 2 is worse than the top end of the National League keep hold of all their good players and add a couple of really nice additions. The issue, possibly, will be that they have had to relay their, well, dig up their 3G pitch and relay a grass pitch. Do you need to dig up a 3G pitch, do you think? Or do you just peel it off? Dig it up. Okay. Because I think it's concrete around there. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't know, actually. Yeah, that we know that teams who have plastic pitches tend to have very good home records. Mm. Having said that, with Harrogate last season, I think the disruption of having to not play their games at home for the first few weeks have more of an impact on their performances rather than um, the actual relaying of the pitch itself because they were pretty good when they, I think it was at Doncaster, wasn't it, where they were playing early in the season. So we'll see what happens there. Sutton's pitch is ready to go, I think, as far as I know, so that should be okay. Uh, manager, I mean, I think with these with these non-league teams, we have to do much more research than we, than we do for the others because we don't follow the National League as closely as we do League Two. But Matt Gray's done an amazing job in the kind of small space of time that he's been at the club since 2019 uh, in terms of players coming in a few familiar names I'm excited to see what um, Ricky Corboa can do when actually given proper game time I think a lot of Cobblers fans would have liked to see him get more of a chance there uh, Enzo Boldvine making a return to the EFL after a couple of years at Notts County I think we probably both thought that he should be a League 2 player mm. that whole time anyway uh, Donovan Wilson signs on a permanent uh, deal after a successful loan spell and quite a funny one this I mean Richie Bennett arrives at Sutton Last season, he was at Stockport, was loaned out to Hartlepool, where he scored, I think, five goals in four games Correct. to fire them into the playoffs. Then was recalled by Stockport, played for Stockport against Hartlepool in the playoffs, missing a very big chance in the semi-finals. And now he's gone to the other team who were promoted in Sutton. So he's had a, an interesting uh, few weeks. I think but it could be perfect for their system. He's certainly a player with a point to prove. Their, yeah. their, their big miss was they had a loanee from Millwall, Isaac Olaofe. Uh, and the way that they play, I think, is... Probably best summed up with words like gritty, hardworking, potentially quite direct. They didn't score a lot of goals, but they were excellent off the ball, excellent defensively. So I guess goals would be the main concern. Yeah. But as you've said, they've brought in some players with a real spark they, in the final third. And as you'd expect for a team who won the league last season and haven't lost many key players, they just look really well stocked in every area. There's no depth issue here at all. Uh, they brought in quality. The two issues, you know, they're going, they were part time last season and they don't have their 3G pitch. But I, I think largely a you know a 19th place prediction is fairly positive for a team who've of their size who've just come up. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they if they improve on that a little bit. I think we'll see quite early on how they're going to get on. But I'd, I'd be pretty surprised based on, on what I know of them and what they've done if they were um, going to justify that favourites for relegation tag. Matt Gray, excited for him to be in the EFL, the only manager in the 92 without a Wikipedia page. So just like we did with Mark Bonner last season, we need to start the campaign to get Matt Gray a wiki page. It's only right when you manage in the EFL. Next up, 18th, Colchester United. They finished 20th last season. It was a miserable campaign for Cole U and they have to improve in all areas. Now, I think they will, but it's very tough to place them 
because they were so poor last season, because I don't believe it's easy to turn things around overnight, because they have a rookie manager in Hayden Mullins, albeit one who seems very impressive, who speaks about the game well, who seems composed, and I'm sure will connect with a lot of the players and hopefully develop some of the talented young players that Colchester always seem to bring through. I think they might need a bit more firepower up front. The extent to which I have to resist calling them Ipswich reserves is pretty <laughs> strong. That will get levelled at them this season because they have signed Alan Judge, Freddie Sears, Cole Skews and Luke Chambers. All four of those players, stalwarts of Ipswich Town over the last what half decade or longer. But, but, the, but the crazy thing about this is that they are a group of players. I mean, this is a bit harsh on Chambers maybe and possibly Sears too, but they're, they're a group of players who are representative of a massive decline in Ipswich Town Football Club, mm. in my opinion. You know, they are not... I, I'm sure they were... They were When Mick was there, it was more successful. And all of them were there when Mick was there and they got to the playoffs. But in the last four years, they have been teammates for a team in decline. So yeah. I, I kind of struggle to work out if bringing in a group of mates who've not performed well together for the last couple of years is a particularly smart move. And that is kind of the key question. How good a manager... In his first full season, will Hayden Mullins be? And how much will these experienced names from Ipswich Town sort of give the dressing room a bit more solidity, shake things up a little bit and inject that experience and professionalism that maybe some of these younger Colchester United players need? We will find out, I think, probably quite early on in the season if this is an incredibly pessimistic prediction. But I think we were so disappointed with how Colchester played in all aspects last season uh, and, and that's hard to forget just over the course of, of six weeks or so and a few experienced heads coming through the door. So Colchester in 18th and above them George Barrow under Mark Cooper now. Yeah I mean Barrow I think this is a sign of how strong we think the league is this season is that I'm I'm wholly positive on Barrow yet at the same time can't really seem to push them further up the table. I mean I think Cooper certainly has some flaws. You know, we're going to talk about Forest don't Green. Don't we all, by the way? Yes, and we should embrace that. <laughs> I, I don't see Cooper leaving Forest Green as a massive negative for them. Is it a positive for him to go to Barrow? Yeah, probably. You know, they had so much managerial discord last season. Having a guy who's managed a lot of games at this level, even if he's quite a prickly character, prickly, I said there, prickly, he is, he's a good manager. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a decent lead to manager and that is what they need. And it's, I think it's, it's unlikely. A huge appointment for Barrett. Yeah, it and just, it's it's an impressive. It's quite an eye-catching appointment. Definitely, and, and it's and it's incredibly good for them knowing that if they are successful this season, or at least they've got a manager who's going to be able to see it through, who they can kind of trust. Scott Quigley going. That's big. Isn't to the it? National League is big. Yes, but looking at their deals as well, you know they've got Zanzala in um, from Carlisle, who was offered a new deal by Carlisle and turned it down to go to Barrow. They've got Josh Gordon in from Warsaw, who again was offered multiple deals. He was offered a deal in November, turned it down, I think February, and then again in the summer, turned them all down and has come to, to Barrow. In terms of Hutton, Joe Grayson, who had a very, very bad loan spell at Oxford last season, but you know all reports suggest he's a decent player. And, and Tom White, again, a player we don't know a great deal about. They're, they're, but they're recruiting players of kind of the right age, I would say, from impressive clubs. And it just feels to me like they were unlucky in their lowly position last season. We spoke so much in the first half of the campaign. You know, the data showed them to be a proper mid-table League Two side who for some reason were getting the the, the bad side of the of the draw uh, consistently in games. Um, and now... And they probably didn't help themselves by consistently chopping and exactly. changing who was in the dugout. And now, you know, they, so I, I don't think they should have been in a relegation battle to start with. The managerial issues that may be sorted and I think the squad... With the exception of Quigley, I think the squad looks more rounded and probably better than it did last season. So I think we can expect some progress. Next up, we've got Crawley Town in 16th. This is a drop of four places from last season where they finished 12th. And that's more a reflection of what we consider to be a league getting stronger than necessarily Crawley getting weaker. I think I'd sum up this section as just saying I expect more of the same from Crawley Town. They were good to watch last season and they had a really bizarre quirk. They 
had 10 wins against teams above them. So 10 wins against top half teams and only six wins against teams below them. They beat Leeds famously in the cup. And I think that all feeds into this idea that Crawley Town under John Yems enjoy having a bit of a chip on their shoulder. They enjoy being the underdogs and they thrive and it suits their style of play because they really can hurt teams when they attack with speed. They've got quality and creativity in the team. But for some reason, when it comes to imposing themselves on opposition, whether that's home games against teams down at the bottom, they find it much more difficult. Now, that could be a, a tactical or strategic issue. It could be a motivational or more of a psychological issue. One thing's for sure, they have to improve defensively if they're to get back in the top half. Uh, only three teams conceded more than them last season. But John Yems seems to pick up these gems and he makes them better. <laughs> and we like that about him. I enjoy watching them play and I'm expecting more of the same. Some good football played. I don't see a relegation battle. I see them taking some scalps and I see them letting us down when we expect them to win against teams down the bottom. Uh, and just a shout out for Tom Nichols, who is a real classy operator at this level, seems to be enjoying life at Crawley Town because he hasn't always had it easy in the last five years. And John Yems is getting the best out of him, who on his day is one of the classiest players, attacking players anyway, uh, in this division. So a, a good team to watch, Crawley. I'm looking forward to going watching them in person this season, just hope that I don't ask John Yems any silly questions. Uh, next up, George, uh, another team that's come down from League One. Yeah, I think this might be seen as quite a negative prediction, but I, I don't really think it is. Uh, we've got Northampton uh, next in 15th. You know, When you consider where we've got Swindon and where, where we've got Rochdale, and when you consider also how tough teams coming down from League One have found it in League Two recently, I think a season of consolidation under a manager in John Brady who while seeming like an absolutely lovely bloke who I'd like to go for a pint with, we don't necessarily know if he's any good at being a football manager yet. Um, they've lost quite a few key players. Um, I think Lloyd-Jones is probably the player who, who they'll miss the most, but in Ryan Watson and, and Kian Bolger and a couple of others as well, they've got players who, who played fairly consistently for them last season, who I think would have been um, useful to have in their squad this campaign. It's quite hard to know what to make of the players who've come in because they've bought... So many, or I shouldn't say bought, they have signed so many players from Scotland who I know very little about. I'm not, and I'm not going to pretend I'm too au fait with the, the Kilmarnock squad from last season, although Mitch Pinnock is a player we know a fair bit about who, who looks like probably the pick of the signings. Um, New uh, head of recruitment, if that's the job title, Martin Foyle, who knows mm. the Scottish game very well. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by those signings. Yeah, I looked, I looked at Kilmarnock fans' reactions and yeah, I mean, it, they weren't particularly gutted which is not a particularly good um, gauge of, of whatever because you know that fans are always going to be quite uh, snide about players who've left um, and then in Jordan Flores they've got a player from Hull who could be very good you know if he, if fit um, in, in, in League 2 so it feels like a season consolidation to me they weren't very good last season it's hard to be too enamoured with, with what they've brought in uh, I don't think it's a particularly negative prediction I, I definitely don't think they look to me on paper and to, in terms of what they've got in the dugout to be one of the likely teams to challenge at the top end. Next up, Harrogate Town. We got in 14th and can't hide the fact that I've got a real soft spot for, for Harrogate. Uh, I thought they were a brilliant addition to the league last season. Up against it in, in terms of certain conditions uh, to begin the season with their own uh, 3G pitch getting ripped up and having to relay a new one. Uh, but I was just really... I thought it was so refreshing how they attacked the division, how they operated, how they played. Uh, and I love Simon Weaver for setting a team up like that because I'm always really impressed. They, they remind me a little bit of Burton under Clough, of Accrington under John Coleman, teams that you watch. And when you look at the side on paper, it doesn't look like they are a really attacking team with a load of flair. But what they are is a very effective attacking team uh, with plenty of different ways of hurting you and it's a style of play that I think works really well the reason I don't have them higher than 14th is they had some pretty major issues last season that are, are, are difficult to get over firstly defensively they were desperately poor they really need to tighten up if they're to get towards the top half of league two they also had a bit of an inferiority complex against teams at the top of this division they got beaten almost every time they played a team in the top eight Harrogate so just a few things that I think are actually pretty large obstacles to overcome based on on one summer's work but I like what they've done they've, they've only lost Kiernan really of, of the players that I thought had a good impact last season uh, other than McPake the loney who's now with Morecambe in the league above and you can kind of see a few themes in their recruitment a couple of older players more experienced at this level in McArdle the centre-back and Oxley the goalkeeper uh, a few younger guys which is often how Har Harrogate 
look to operate uh, in Page and Sharon and Patterson. Uh, and then a couple of strikers that I am really excited about. I think one of Luke Armstrong and Danilo Orsi could score some goals this season. I made the mistake, George, of watching a YouTube video of all of Orsi's goals in the National League last season. And looks like a finisher to me. Looks like a real fox in the box. So if they're a team that I think can create a lot of chances and they've got two really good strikers up front, then I'm kind of excited to see what Harrogate do uh, this season. I think they've added firepower. The big question is, can they improve defensively as much as I would want them to in order to get a little more carried away? I'm not sure about that. Uh, above them is a team who have gone through a real churn, a bit of a rebrand, a new era, George, at Walsall. Really hard to know what to make of this because I'm pretty positive about the steps they're taking off the pitch in order to plan for success. I wonder if this could be just a season of getting those, implementing those plans. Uh, you know, Jamie Fullerton has been appointed as sporting director. He's appointed uh, Matthew Taylor, the former Pompey left back. As manager, who, again, we have no idea if he's a good coach. We have no idea if he's a good manager yet. And for that reason, you're taking a massive leap of faith to put them higher than mid-table, given the, the issues they've had recently. However, there's loads to be positive about. They've cleared out a lot of dead wood, players who, frankly, haven't been good enough over the past couple of seasons. I mean, Dan Scar's the biggest loss. He's gone up to, to Plymouth Argyle. I should say down to Plymouth Argyle. Cameron Nor Nor Norman, Wes McDonald, you know, Kellen Lavery. These are players who promised a great deal and haven't really done it at all. The signings they brought in, I quite like. You know, Manny Month um, offers something at the back. Connor Wilkinson in flashes has been superb, a scorer of great goals as well. Really excited to see Jack Earing, who's come in from Halifax, having scored eight goals in 32 games from midfield in the National League last season. A lot of teams in League One and League Two were seemingly after him as well. It feels like the recruitment is, is just quite clever now, and that's not something we've been able to say about Walsall much in, in recent history. But it just feels... You know, I think we've become un we've come unstuck in the past about buying too much into clubs who seem to be doing things the right way, but with with people, you know, but with with um, attractive looking appointments who we don't know a great deal. You know, you'd be thinking back to Bristol Rovers last season, who not us, but plenty of of people, of pundits for the, for these leagues had Bristol Rovers down as being a promotion challenge, but then it transpired that maybe actually Ben Garner, despite being a great coach, wasn't actually a great manager. It feels quite similar, this Walsall um, stuff at the moment. That's not to say it's going to go wrong, but it's important not to get too carried away. I just think next season could be a year where they all get their feet under the table. We learn a lot about the sporting director and the manager. Um, the recruitment continues to progress and maybe next year will be the, the time we're talking about them pushing further up. In 12th, we got Stevenage. And I think if you use the betting odds as a somewhat of a barometer of expectation, this is uh, one of our bolder shouts, really, because Stevenage are, I think, third favourite for relegation uh, in League Two. Joint and second favourite, yeah, 9-2, along with Barrow. Joint second favourite with Betfair. Uh, and we really disagree with that. I think it, it's it can be a bit noisy, but I think people slightly missed the fact that in the second half of last season, Stevenage were the fourth or fifth best team in the league. Now, that's quite a long time, 23 games, to be a playoff quality team in terms of results, but also in terms of the underlying numbers, which very much backed it up. Uh, Alex Ravel seems to be growing as a manager and his Stevenage side very much growing alongside him. And I think that's really exciting. Um, the thing you have to ask yourself is, was that strong finish partly down to the fact there was no pressure on them, no expectation? As I said, they were kind of going under the radar. They'd got themselves away from a relegation battle and they just let loose. Uh, and, and, and how will that translate to this season? Can they continue with that carefree mentality or will things get a bit real again with the league table having reset? The other thing is they only scored 41 goals last season in 46 games. So... While when I started this, I probably thought I might have Stevenage as a playoff chaser. I just don't think that a team can add 20, 25 more goals that they would, I think, need in order to assert a dominance that would have them as a playoff team over the course of 46 games. They only scored 17 in the first half of last season and 24 in the second half. So it wasn't like they suddenly started banging them in. Their strong finish coincided with the appointment of Dean Wilkins as an assistant for Alex Ravel. Bit of a theme across the league sometimes is uh, more experienced assistants, sometimes with managerial experience themselves, being brought in to, to give a helping hand to some of these young, exciting managers. Uh, I like the squad. They've lost Tom Pett, 
uh, and Jamie Cumming, who was excellent goalkeeper on loan from Chelsea, but no one else major. And they made some early and I think strong looking moves to replace those players and add quality in pretty much all areas. I think there's a nice blend of experience with Cuthbert and Lines and Prosser, but also a, a kind of underrated group of young players, I think, at Stevenage in Van Kooten and Wilden, Carter, Smith, uh, Elliot List. I feel like someone who who's always close to having a breakout season. Maybe this is the one for List. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching Stevenage play. I think they could be better than this, but I just have a few reservations. So they are bang in mid-table for us in 12th. And just above them, George, a team who had a very strange end to last season. A playoff <laughs> team, but went into it in a state of... Well, it was just bizarre, wasn't it, at Tranmere? Yeah, we've got Tranmere in 11th, who, after a season where they started the, the thrilling season with Michael Jackson uh, in charge... Keith Hill then came in and led them on a merry dance to the to the playoffs, only to be sacked on on the eve of the playoffs. And now they've appointed, you know, and the playoffs didn't really go to plan. Uh, they've now appointed the man who left after a four year stint. They included two promotions and then ended in a relegation uh, as their manager. Which, yeah, I mean, it's 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 probably a good appointment. I can't say I was ever totally enamoured with Tranmere, um, with Melon's Tranmere, even in the season where they were promoted. At Wembley, an extra time against Newport. I, I, I know Tranmere fans are huge, you know, as they would be, delighted to have Mellon back. But I'm not necessarily putting this down in the in the in the kind of the big plus column. Uh, you look at the the squad as well, and they've been gutted, really. I mean, we've spoken about Month, who's left. Um, Liam Rydalsh as well. The left back has gone. Uh, Willery's gone as well, and Paul Lewis has also gone. Of course, James Vaughan, who was their star player, key marksman, had a bad injury last season which coincided in a, in a turn in a, in a tail off of form and he's retired so a massive rebuild is needed and they've brought a lot of players in um three of them are 34 years of age and in that night percival who's of course a very good center back for the level liam feeney the wide player and sam foley as well um bringing in players of that age i can't say i'm a huge fan of it doesn't really feel like forward planning at all callum McManaman is quite a big name to bring in at league two level but again i'm not necessarily sure his performances on the pitch have been particularly uh, of a high level recently Ryan Watson's a decent signing I'm excited to see Paul Glatzel who's a, a young Liverpool Academy striker who's got a very very good goal scoring record um, in youth teams but again you can't hang your hat on him being coming in and scoring a lot of goals straight away normally it can take one loan before players like that do seem to get to grips with first team football so yeah I, I'm not particularly positive I thought tooth and nail with you last season to have Chamia very high up in our predictions and this time around even though the managerial situation is clearly much better it feels to me like they're maybe in a, in a, a state of transition in terms of the players that have gone but when you look at who they brought in on permanent deals and the age of them it's troubling both mm -hmm. in terms of legs and in terms of, of planning as well so yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about Tramier this season. Next, we've got Bristol Rovers in 10th spot. And, and this is a, an interesting one, George, I think needs a bit of discussion because Bristol Rovers are a relegated side from League One last season. They are third favourites for the title uh, with Betfair. They have made a lot of very eye-catching signings. You'd say that potentially they have the best squad in the league on paper. A lot of players who still need to fulfil some potential, but players that we recognise as players with a lot of skill, pace, quality, whatever that might be for their position. Uh, Collins is a good example. Aaron Collins has been a good attacking player at this level for the last few seasons. Doesn't strike me as a particularly confident or natural finisher. I think if he could improve on that front, then we might be looking at the golden boot winner in League Two this season. Yakola should be the best goalkeeper in the division, but finds it very difficult to stay fit. I noticed that they bought the keeper, Belshaw, from Harrogate. So maybe Yakala's off or they're just not expecting him to be able to stay there. A player like Zane Westbrook, I have really high hopes for. Uh, so there's a lot to like about this Bristol Rovers side. And a lot of the guys they've lost, Williams, Ema, Upson, you can't be too concerned about that when these are guys who have contributed to a really disappointing season. But a lot depends on the manager, Joey Barton, who has recently been charged with assault the response to which by Bristol Rovers was so disappointing that the fan base created a lot of understandable consternation uh, on social media. And the president of Bristol Rovers then wholeheartedly apologised for the club statement that was published after Joey Barton appeared in court. It means that Barton now has two court cases, uh, one which pertains to 
an incident involving Daniel Stendhal, of course, which is now, well, I think, over two years ago. So plenty still to play out off the field when it comes to Bristol Rovers' manager, Joey Barton, George. And these are the sorts of things that really undermine a club's ambition on the pitch. This makes us uneasy about Bristol Rovers. Yeah, it does. It does. When I was doing my research, I looked into the teams who'd be suited or not suited by fans returning. And I think, I mean, I don't know when uh, or if Joey Barton will be returning to the, the dugout at the Mem anytime soon. But when he does, it feels like if things aren't going well, it will be a club that quite quickly turns uh, and the atmosphere will not be beneficial because understandably, a lot of Bristol Rovers fans don't want him to be their manager. I look at the recruitment as well, and they, they got lots of their business done very early, um, but I wasn't necessarily sure it was the kind of business that looked like it should be done early. There weren't players who I thought, you know, the likes of uh, Anderson, um, of Hughes as well, even Paul Coots. Um, these aren't players who I necessarily thought you had to move fast to get them because they don't look like laudable League Two signings to me. I mean, they're, they're in no way bad signings, and I think Coots, particularly with his technical ability, could be very, very good if you build a team around him. I worry a bit about his legs. Luke Thomas looks to be the one to me that could be very good. He shouldn't be playing in League Two. They've got him in on loan from Barnsley. And if he's fit uh, and up for this, he could be one of the best players in the division. But even if there weren't doubts about the manager and the circumstances around him, I still wouldn't be all in on this Bristol Rovers side. As I've already mentioned, teams coming down from League One sometimes find it hard to, to recalibrate and go again. So all of the League One relegated teams out the way and we're only just moving inside the top 10. Uh, interesting stuff, George. Uh, new jacket, new squad for Leighton Orient. Uh, they've got Kenny Jacket in, as I mentioned, the first time he's been managing at this level since Swansea in 2005. Vastly experienced and a huge turnover of players as well. This is a real rebrand, if you will, in East London. It is. And, and I think they have the potential to go quite far this season. Um wouldn't surprise me if they did better than ninth, but I think there are enough doubts. I mean, we're gonna, we have to kind of keep them down there. Uh, let's start with Jacket, who I think there's just so much false narrative around Kenny Jacket. And, and I know that Pompey fans wholeheartedly disagree. Um, and they were absolutely terrible uh, at the end of his tenure, it's fair to say. But let's remember that even though they didn't achieve the, the aim of getting promoted from League One, they were never worse than solid. Um, you look at the squad this time around, they've kept a couple of key players. I mean, Dan Happy still being at the club is massive. I'm sure there was, you know, that's not a given. He'll still be there at the end of the window. Bigger in goal as well is a positive. Uh, the players that they've lost are fairly significant uh, on first glance, I would say. But when you look at who's replacing them, I think it kind of makes sense. You know, they've lost all of their goals. Danny Johnson's moved on uh, after a prolific campaign albeit one, a massive purple patch. Connor Wilkinson I've already mentioned as well. But then they brought in Harry Smith as a target man with uh, Aaron Jynan and Paul Smith running off him, which I quite want to see. It it kind of makes sense in my head uh, as something that would work. I think Omar Beckles is a really nice uh, pickup as well. Uh, and Darren Prattley in the middle of the park too. It, it just seems to me like they're building a, a much more solid squad with a clear idea of how they want to play to add to the some of the... Um, quality they had last season and when you consider last season they had Ross Embleton and Joby McEnough as their two managers you know two guys who um, I think would learn a lot from Kenny Jacket. it's fair to say I think they're in a much better position going into this season it'd be cool to see him get the best out of Dan Kemp really talented young attacking player I think could be a, a brilliant creative player at this level with enough targets in the middle plenty to look forward to here as you say they've lost a lot only eight of the 22 most minutes played last season in terms of players, are still there. So it's a big churn. It's Kenny Jacket. It's a new era. And looking forward to seeing how they go. Could be a lot higher than this, for sure. We've got Newport just above them. Newport in eighth place. So just missing out on the playoffs, which, of course, they made last season. What a topsy-turvy season they had, of course, starting so well. They were miles clear of even third, fourth place uh, after about three months of the season. Uh, and then problems with the pitch, problems with their style of play not translating very well to a boggy pitch. And then issues as the season grew with finishing chances and scoring goals. Uh, it threatened to derail them completely. But Mike Flynn got a grip on things, took them to the playoff final. And they were, what, a dodgy refereeing decision and maybe a bit of luck away from winning that game and being in League One. So this might seem a little bit negative, but I've got three main concerns when it comes to Newport struggling to reach the heights of a top seven finish this season. Because you have to remember that each top seven finish for Newport under Mike Flynn is a huge overachievement if you look at, at their budget. 
the big one for me is that they've lost Josh Sheehan and to a lesser extent, Liam Shepard. I think Sheehan is a top League One player in a crucial position where there aren't many players like him in League Two level, sort of deep-lying playmaker, dictating play. And with the the new style of this Newport side, Flinny Tacker, as I call it, I think Sheehan is as about as important a player as any other in League Two for their team. So I think his departure will be felt strongly. They have made moves to replace all of their outgoings. Joe Day will come in in goal. Uh, James Clark at the back. Missalou and Upson and Finn Azaz in that central midfield area. And then Jermaine Hilton, Courtney Baker-Richardson. Courtney Senior, I was excited to watch play outside of Colchester, but has picked up a bad injury. And then also Flynn himself. Some very chippy comments after the playoff final. I think he was trying to exert some power, uh, trying to leverage a bit more power at the club, feeling like that might be loosening a little bit. There's a there's a small chance, and I don't think it's probable, that things could start to turn for Flynn, that his head potentially could start to turn. And I don't think anyone would really begrudge him starting to think about cashing in on, on his sort of high credit, so to speak, in the EFL in managerial terms. So um, there's a few tests for them and then just goals, basically. They, they really struggled for goals. Um, outside of the first few months of last season after Scott Twine left particularly. And I'm not convinced that any of their current attacking players are going to be the ones to step up, make a leap and score 15, 20 goals. So those are my concerns about Newport, but really looking forward to watching them play. I think they've got a new pitch as well. So hopefully this one will handle uh, any poor weather conditions during the winter. We will wait and see on that front. Uh, Next up, George, we start with our top seven. This means the lowest playoff side. Uh, We think their season will be extended into May and it's Chris Beach's Carlisle, a team that we're pretty fond of, actually, I think, and looking forward to watching this season. Yeah, it's one of the, the great unknowns is what would have happened to, to Carlisle last season if they hadn't had their COVID issue when they did because they were at the top of League Two and looked like the best team in League mm. Two and they came back and, and were a shadow of, the, of themselves. Uh, beach ball lives on, um, which is exciting. Uh, my concern is just that maybe the squad doesn't look as strong as it did this time last year. Um, Might need some late loan action. I think so, yeah. I mean, Zanzala, we've mentioned, who you know wasn't by any stretch a, a massive player for them, but I think they'd have liked to keep him after his form towards the back end of the season. They've also lost uh, Reese Bennett and Amari Patrick. And uh, I think Josh Curde is probably the one who they're going to miss the most. Uh, Zach Clough comes in, who should be probably too good for this level if he's fit. But there is a lot to like in the squad, you know, in, in, in terms of Callum Guy, John Mellish and, and Jimmy Torre. They still have... The, the players who are basically the, the, the main reason for their good form, uh, early good form last season too, and in, in Chris Beach, a manager who we know can get his teams playing some really nice stuff. So yeah, it's 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 a tricky one to kind of place them, I feel, uh, because at times they were the best team in the division last season. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how Carlisle go. Uh, I think there's a, a chance that with slightly kinder conditions, we, you know, we touch wood and we hope that teams won't have these huge, huge issues with COVID outbreaks that really derailed a lot of teams last season for weeks and months. And I'm hoping as well that with the slightly kinder schedule, a team like Carlisle, who have to travel a lot more than most teams, again, this might benefit them. I'm hoping as well, for Chris Beach's sake, that his incredibly effective style of football, which saw them be one of the best teams defensively and also rack up plenty of goals. I'm kind of hoping that the opposition teams won't be uh, savvy to that now. Uh, there might need to be some tweaks when it comes to beach ball. We will see how they go. We've got Port Vale above them in sixth. Daryl Clark's Port Vale. He moved from Walsall to Vale last season when Walsall were above Port Vale in the season, in the table rather, and that raised some eyebrows. But it looked to, towards the end of the season like that was justified. They finished really strongly under Daryl Clark. He was exactly what Vale needed. They had the sixth best record in terms of points per game in the division after he joined. It was pretty low scoring stuff. He certainly looked to build defensively first and foremost. They only conceded 14 in those 18 games, but they only scored 17, which is still less than a goal a game. So an obvious thing for them to improve on and that defensive solidity needs to stay. There's been a bit of a refresh in terms of the squad and arguably that's what Vale needed after a a, a real core of players have been there or thereabouts over the last few years and they have achieved at times and they've also underachieved and disappointed at other side at other times so I like the look of of some of the additions Ryan Johnson had a great season with Hartlepool last season and they've added some sort of league two nouse experience quality if you will Mal Benning uh, Tom Pett James Wilson Jamie Proctor 
Looks like a big, strong squad to me. I'm hopeful that Tom Conlon could kick on again and be possibly the best midfield player in the league uh, and a real creative force. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited about Port Vale. Um, there's nothing massively that concerns me. Uh, I'm a little burnt by last season where we backed them to do really well. We thought the atmosphere around the club and its governance was pointing in one direction and they slipped up. It didn't work out. But I think under Daryl Clark, they could have a manager now who could get a really good thing going. And I expect to see Port Vale in the top seven. We've got them in sixth. The team above them, George, Forest Green Rovers, you are particularly intrigued by, I think it's fair to say. George falls for young rookie manager with a nice youth CV shock. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think having them fifth is probably as high as you can really go. But I'd like to have on the record that it wouldn't surprise me if they were the best team in the league. If this Rob Edwards guy is any good because, you know, he comes with a pretty good pedigree in terms of the Wolves under-23 side, which he did very well with. Um, he's also been in charge of the England under-16 side and been involved in the under-20 side too. He's clearly a very, very good coach. And that is something that Forest Green maybe have lacked in recent years. I don't think Forest Green were far off from having the best squad in the division last season. Um, but for reasons that cost Mark Cooper his job, um, they, they weren't good enough consistently. Uh, looking at their business they've done as well, um, they haven't done a great deal. They haven't lost anyone of massive note. I think Aaron Collins is probably the one who you would say so, but I think he's disappointed uh, in most of his time at the club. Uh, and the key thing for them is that they've retained key players. You know, Ebo Adams is still there. Nicky Cadden is still there. Two players who I think we expected to have interest from, from higher up. Jamil Matt, back fits, uh, a player who I think we can be pretty sure is going to get into goal scoring opportunities on a regular basis as well. I think Jack Aitchison could be an interesting signing uh, back at the club. He had a good loan spell there a couple of years ago. I'm not going to pretend to know much about Sadu Diallo or Opie Edwards, although I would think that Rob Edwards, the manager, will have a decent idea of these young guys he's bringing through, especially Diallo, who would have played for him at Wolves. And Regan Hendry, a player that I think a lot of Forest Green fans are excited about, was in the championship, the Scottish championship team of the season last year at Wraith Rovers. It's basically just a case for me of not much has changed except for, I think, what needed to change. And I, and I I thought the Forest Green massively underperformed where they should have been last season and everything's in place for them to to go well again. Uh, reports from pre-season suggesting that Edwards is playing a, a pretty fun 3-4-1-2 with, with the three players up front being fairly fluid between them. Uh, and we know from last season that they're very well suited to that three at the back system as well. So with, with Jordan Moore-Taylor and Bailey Cargill staying, um, yeah, I am positive on their chances if the manager... Uh, is is up to the task. We've got Salford one place above them in fourth, just outside the automatic promotion places. And I'm going to start with a, a sentence that's kind of my main point and is not the most exciting sentence you'll ever hear. And that is that Salford finished eighth last season. This is a rise of four places. And I don't think they have to get that much better in order to be towards the top. And I think they will get a bit better. What we've seen with Salford over the last few seasons is that they haven't been able to match lofty expectations that have been not just imposed upon them by being pre-season favourites and heavily talked about with their transfer business, but actually lofty expectations from within the club and the people who run the club, which we're able to see on various documentaries that get released. And that's been very difficult for various managers to cope with, to manage, I suppose, whether it was Graham Alexander, whether it was Richie Wellens, they found the conditions difficult in order to, to match the expectations. I think an issue with a training ground location that fits a professional football club uh, is just one issue um, that has sort of undermined things over the last few seasons. They've got Gary Boyer in charge now. Their numbers last season were pretty good um, and they just didn't really finish their chances. I think that's pretty simply how I would sum it up. They only conceded 23 goals from open play, which is the best in the league. I don't see why they would suddenly go from that to being a, a very leaky team. And I think that they can improve with the ball. They were pretty slow last season. They were pretty unexciting. I think the injection of Conor McElhinney could be one of the biggest signings in League Two. He carries the ball. He's direct takes a lot of shots uh, and I think he could be a real star of the division. Matty Lund, also another good signing, uh, along with Josh Morris, Liam Shepard and Tom King. It might not be the flashiest window they've had since winning promotion to League Two. 
I think it improves their team in certain areas. I would say they'll miss the goalkeeper, Ladke, who's gone to Ipswich, and Deshaun Bernard, who is on loan from United. Probably two big losses for them and something to be aware of. It's a bit of a weird squad. It's probably not as strong or as deep as you might expect, given that we are led to believe that Salford operate with very deep pockets. There are a few areas of the squad that I'm not quite sold on yet. But I think overall, I can't see Salford being any lower than they were last season. And as I said, I don't think they have to do much to improve. So a fourth place finish is where we've ended up with Salford City, which means we've got a top three. Top three time. The three automatically promoted teams from League Two this season in our opinion, starts with Mansfield Town, uh, a team that I am very bullish on. And this could be copy and pasted from any of the previous few seasons where I have found myself pretty bullish on Mansfield Town and they have consistently underperformed expectations. I personally don't think that that should be a strong enough reason to assume that a team will underperform expectations again. I don't think that That has to be the sort of thing that follows a club around forever, even if it's true in the last few seasons. I wouldn't be surprised if this is Mansfield Town's season. And you know what? It's not about the strength of the squad and the transfers, albeit they are pretty eye-catching. This, for me, is about the manager, Nigel Clough, and my belief that at this level, in terms of grabbing a team by its bootstraps, turning them into a winning League Two side and winning promotion... He is the man for Mansfield Town. I think he is the perfect manager for them. I think that he will make them a really, really good, fairly dominant all-round team. uh, And I'm really looking forward to it. They look insanely well-stocked in midfield and up top. They sometimes haven't had necessarily the threat from wide areas that you might want to see. But I suspect we're going to see quite a narrow uh, attacking, uh, well, final third sorts of players. I think they're going to get a lot of width from the fullbacks, a lot of attacking output from them. Uh, and the targets in the middle are, are pretty eye-catching. Uh, Ollie Hawkins has joined. Danny Johnson joins from Orient. I think he's a really good finisher. I think if they can create chances for Danny Johnson, he could be someone that hits 20 goals plus in a promotion season. Stephen Quinn is back at the base of midfield. Nigel Clough's favourite fav- yeah. son, I was going to say. You've <laughs> gone with mate. Um, and I think they look strong. I'm bullish about Mansfield Town. I think they're going to be promoted this season uh, good news for Stags fans who have been hoping for that for the last few years um, George who's in second place second we've got Exeter um, Exeter City in second who this is their third campaign with the other Matt Taylor in charge a manager who we do know a fair amount about and he kind of <laughs> he kind of surprises me because after the first season where they lost in the playoffs I was like well we know what we're going to get with Exeter they're going to be solid they're probably going to finish in the top six again. Not particularly flashy. They then scored a ridiculous amount of goals and finished outside the playoffs. So I think he's a manager who's learning, who's proven that he can set up teams to score, set up teams to win. I think they were fairly unlucky last season not to finish a bit higher. Um, the headline news from Exeter is that they've lost arguably their two, not best players, but players that would be seen as the biggest losses. Mm. Um, you know, they've lost Randall Williams. They've lost Ryan Bowman. I think Williams is definitely a loss. I know there's no doubt about that. He's a very, very good player at League Two level who deserves to step up. I'm not necessarily can, can sure that Ryan Bowman is a huge loss. I think they're the kind of team who, if you have a decent striker up top, he will get goals. And for that reason, I'm really excited to see how Sam Nombe gets on, who's come in from MK Dons, having had one of the weirdest loan spells last season in the championship at Luton. Um, but he's somebody who, certainly a couple of years ago, we thought we'd, see, we'd have seen a lot more of with a raw ability the pace um, and, you know, he's got that ability to get you excited playing up top. And then Giovanni Brown, who had a very strange couple of years at Colchester, but we know is, is a is a canny operator at this level. I, I expect we'll see him being moved back out to the back out wide, uh, unlike the, the striker role who's playing at Colchester. And uh, they just seem to be a very well-rounded side with, with decent squad depth. Pierre Sweeney left, went to Swindon for a week and then came back again, which is probably a good thing. McArdle's gone to Harrogate, no great loss there. Everything's set up, I think, for a decent season for Exeter. Yeah, and I'm not too concerned about the ones that they've lost. I guess the main concern, as we record a week before the start of the season, is could some of their talented young players be picked off? Archie Collins, probably one of the main ones. He signed a new contract recently. Matt Jay was given the captain's armband. Those don't smack of people about to leave to, to League One or above, even if they might have deserved that move. And Joel Randall was brilliant at times last season, wasn't he? Uh, his breakout season, which which was impacted by injuries eventually. This is why I'm excited for Exeter. I think it's a really good time for them. 
I think we've got a talented core of players, a year older, a year more experienced. Young players in terms of age, but actually becoming more and more experienced. And I think within this club, very comfortable being senior quality key players for a team. It reminds me a little bit of Crew Alexandra uh, in the 1920 season where they had had a, a good campaign previously. They'd finished pretty strong. They had a core of very talented young players, as we know, the likes of NG and Pickering and Wintle. Uh, and they were a year older. They were a year more experienced. Um, the manager kept a strong hold on things and they were excellent the, the year after. That's what I'm predicting for Exeter. I think collectively they can reach another level uh, and I think they just need to improve a little bit defensively. I think they can do that. Uh, a bit like what I said with Carlisle, I think the conditions will be better for them this season in terms of scheduling and travel. They just need to be a little bit more consistent, cut out some of those poor runs from last season. And I think they can do that. Also very excited about Sam Nombe, um, like you are. I think he could be the sort of person that really thrives. And, and Matt Jay, real contender for player of the season, I think, in this division. He was uh, underrated, even in being one of the stars of the division last season. The work that he did in terms of goals and in terms of setting up chances for his teammates was excellent uh, and he should be a, a key man. Now the captain of this side. So very positive on Exeter City, but not number one because number one is another city, Bradford City under Derek Adams. George, why have we got them atop the tree? Yeah, I mentioned teams who'd be suited by a return of fans. I think with a new manager, Derek Adams at the helm, I think Bradford could make Valley Parade something pretty special because... It feels like they're finally back on an upward trajectory. Uh, finally, my note says, Derek Adams, this is a much easier task than last season, but let's not think that he's Midas now. And then I looked into it and I was like, yeah, even if that is the case, this isn't as simple as saying Derek Adams brings you guaranteed success, but he is basically as good as it's going to get in at League Two. He's proven that with Plymouth Argyle. He's proven that with an incredible achievement at Morecambe last season. But you look at the squad itself and they have needed this clear out for so long. Like, you know, Clayton Donaldson, fantastic servant to the club, but I'm just delighted that we're not going to be seeing Donaldson and Novak still playing uh, up top for Bradford. As I mentioned, talking about Scunthorpe, it's quite weird to talk about two players who played for a side who we predicted to do so poorly last season. But I think Gilead and, and Isa will bring them something very different, a bit of guile, a bit of flair and a bit of kind of youthful exuberance going forward. Um, Jan Songo follows Derek Adams from Morecambe, which I think is a great signing. Uh, somebody who can really be that midfield general. Andy Cook uh, stays after his loan spell. Another player who I think, if provided the service, will score a lot of goals. Um, I think this is a very good League Two squad with the best manager in the division at the helm. Um, and everything is kind of pulling me towards them having a massive season. Yeah, no complaints from me. Um, I cannot see them being anything other than very good under Adams. And I think that's what these predictions are all about. Of course, we do our own 1-24s to and then we merge them to create the not the top 20 1-24s. to And Bradford were the team that we both were very, very confident are going to be a strong side. And that's to do with the changes uh, with the manager. I think they could get a really good thing going here. I, I can see them setting up in a really strong 4-3-3. Uh, one or two more additions and I would get even more excited. But regardless, um, I think a strong midfield. Elliot Watt is a player that we like a lot. Um, Derek Adams can get the best out of him. He's brought in his old general, Songo, who was excellent at Morecambe last season. And as you say, threat from out wide. Andy Cook, who we think will score goals, just points to a, a league title win in our opinion. So there you go, Bradford City in first place. I'll just run through from 24th to 1st. Bottom, we had Scunthorpe and Hartlepool going down. Above them, Swindon 22nd, Rochdale 21st, Oldham 20th, Sutton, Colchester, Barrow and Crawley takes us up to 16th, Northampton, Harrogate and Walsall, the rest of the bottom half teams up to 13th, and then the top half, Stevenage 12th, Tranmere 11th, Bristol Rovers 10th, Leighton Orient 9th, Newport County 8th, our playoff teams, Carlisle, Port Vale, Forest Green Rovers and Salford, and our top three, Mansfield, Exeter and Bradford. So those are our promoted teams and a quick look at the odds with the Betfair Sportsbook have Mansfield 11-4 to for promotion, Exeter 3-1, to Bradford also 3-1 to and to win the division, Bradford are picked there 12-1. to 
with Betfair, if you bet £20 on multiples or bet builders, you'll get a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. Terms and conditions do apply for that. You can find them out on the Betfair website. They also have no cash-out suspensions on match odds for all EFL games. This is applicable to singles and multiples. No cash-out suspensions. Betting is for over-18s only. We ask that you be gamble-aware and understand the risks that come with betting. Now it's time to mention possibly the most exciting thing of all, George. (laughs) A huge giveaway. We are going to buy a season ticket for one lucky listener to go and watch their EFL team at every home game this coming season. Head to Twitter, quote, tweet the tweet, releasing this podcast with a review of our placement of your team. You can add any major agreements or disagreements for the rest of our 1-24s. to You can be as kind or as rude as you like. And you must also follow our account on Twitter, at NTT20pod. You could do the best review possible in that quote tweet. But if you don't follow us, you are not eligible to win the season ticket. We'll be picking the winner next week. We will let you know if it's you. But please do get involved because we're really excited about this. We think it's an awesome giveaway and we can't wait to see who wins it. So go to Twitter, quote tweet this tweet that releases this podcast, review our placement of your team and any other major agreements or disagreements and we will pick a winner to buy a season ticket for ahead of the new season.